Glad to see you. Man, I, I hope that you were able to hang out with us after service uh, last Sunday, because uh, it, was, it was a special day. Uh, not only did we get to go have some of, just about the best pork that I've ever had. I mean, I can't be alone there, right? I mean, okay. I'm just saying, it was good. It, it, yeah, <laughs> it was pretty incredible. But anyway, not only did we get to have that, but then we got to come back in this room, and we got to hear from our staff and our elders about what the vision was going forward into this next year. And we're really excited to see what God is doing in our church over the next year. Um, so thanks for being a part of this. If you, if you did miss it, that's okay. Uh, but it is online on our YouTube channel. It'll be on our website later this week. Uh, if you'd like to go and see uh, what kind of the vision is going forward and how you can be a part of it. Because really, what we hit at the end of it was that the thing that we're excited about the most isn't about all the ideas that we have as a staff. The thing that we're excited about the most are all the ideas that you haven't thought of yet. How we as a church can come alongside each other and encourage you to be kingdom workers and to take your visions and turn them into realities that the church then owns. Uh, it's a really a cool idea, and really, it's something that we're, we're really excited about. So last week we finished up a series that we called Neighbors. The idea being that we wanted to reach the world one neighbor at a time, to see our neighbors through the eyes of Christ, to go to them and to love them with the same love that we love ourselves. See, that was the call, that through the Great Commission, we are called to reach the world for the gospel. And through the Great Commandments, we see that we're supposed to do that by loving our neighbors as ourselves. So our call is to the nations one neighbor at a time. So we finished last week by talking about a step that we need to take. We encouraged you to think through the idea of what step are you being called to take. <clears throat> Something that God is calling us to take. We asked you to start praying about that. We asked you to start working through and asking God, what would you have me do to reach the nations, to love my neighbors, to step beyond myself? And this is really where we're going to take the handoff from last series to this series. We're starting a new series this week. It's a five-week series called Big Faith. Uh, sorry, a four-week series called Big Faith, uh, where we're going to unpack uh, what it means to have faith. So before we dive in, let's just stop. Uh, let's take a breath, because I know that really some of you have had some pretty hard weeks, and some of you have had some really great weeks. But no matter how you have come into this room, you are here right now. And so let's take a second, let's stop, and let's ask God to speak and to give us the humility to hear him, that we could be changed and that we could be more like his church. Let's stop and let's ask God to speak. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for the day. Father, I ask that you would speak today. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would take the words that uh, I have written down um, and that you would deliver them. But Father, really we ask that you would help us to be more like you. Please give us the humility to approach your word uh, and be changed by it. God, for anyone in here right now that's really struggling or that's carrying some weight, Lord, I ask that you would give them a reprieve and help them to put things down for a bit and to hear you, and to trust you. Lord, we love you. We ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. 
So last week we finished the series with a call to take the step. Uh, I don't know if you know, but on, on the uh, um, logo that we have, that's actually like, it's a mustard seed at the very end of it, just in case that's, that's what that is. That's important later, we'll talk about it. But anyway, we're going to go forward now. Um, we talked about a step that we're take, called to take, and today we're going to start exploring that step and uh, what that could and probably should look like in the lives of the Christian. And so we're going to do that by studying a portion of the book of Hebrews. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them up. We're going to be in Hebrews chapter 11 for most of the day. Um, If you don't have your Bibles, pull out your phone. We've also got this on the app. Uh, If you want to download the Lakewood OK app, you can get in and there's sermon notes and all the verses and everything right there at your fingertips as well. Um, But yeah, we're going to study a portion of the book of Hebrews. We're going to be in chapter 11. But here's the thing about the book of Hebrews. See, the first 10 chapters of the book of Hebrews... It's kind of like this really beautiful, ornate door that the author writes for us. He paints it for us. And we see him building all of this up in the first ten chapters. But then, in chapter 11, we see the door open, and it's an invitation to step into it. And so that's what we're going to try to do through this series. To step through the door, and not only experience the life of the family of God, but to enter and become part of the life of God. Of the family of God. So before we can get to chapter 11, though, we have to do a little bit of backstory. So we're going to start in chapter 10, starting in verse 36. It says, For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. So at the very beginning, in chapter 10, verse 36 to 39, he gets to this thing. He says, you may receive what is promised. And then he quotes from the book of Habakkuk. And he says this. He says, yet a little while, the the coming one will come and not delay. He's talking about Jesus. And what the author of Hebrews does is he takes the coming of Jesus and he brings it back in because we're not just living in the idea of the resurrected Jesus, or in the Jesus coming to save us. He's done that. Now we're looking forward to him to come to bring us home. So we're in this weird in-between time between the resurrection of Christ and the return of Christ. And we see here that faith, is one of the defining characteristics that we're called to as the church. We're to be known by faith and love and hope. So as I read that, I've got to ask myself the question, what is faith? Faith is one of those Christian words that gets used so much that sometimes it loses its meaning. You ever have one of those words where you say it enough times and you can't remember why it's a word anymore? This is weird, but for me it's the word Grapes. I mean, I know what they are. It doesn't really have that much more of a definition, except there it is. It's a grape. But if I say it enough times, completely forget the word. The word am, same thing. Um, That's just me. I might be the only person in all of humanity that that happens to, but if I'm not, then thank you for making me feel like I'm not alone. That's great. Uh, But anyway, faith is one of those words that we use so much that sometimes it can lose its meaning. Sometimes we can say things like, just have faith. But it's really interesting because the word just means like it's almost like simple to do it, but... We're saying just have faith, but faith is kind of a hard thing. It's a burden. It's a battle. It's a weight to bear. There's a song that calls it brave and bittersweet. 
Faith is something that is huge, and if we're supposed to be known for it as the church, if it's supposed to be one of the markers of the church, then really it should never become cliche within us. But in Hebrews 11.1, 1, we get a definition of faith, but we don't even get it, only get a definition. The author actually gives us examples of faith. And if you're like me, or if you've ever put together a piece of particle board furniture, you know that sometimes the directions are really great when they have examples with them. And this is what we get in Hebrews chapter 11. So let's, let's get ready. Let's dive into this. Let's see what it's saying about faith. So we're going to start in Hebrews 11.1. 1. It says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So he starts out with the definition. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. We are assured of what we're hoping for. Even when we can't see it. And in a time when we're experiencing things like riots and disease, when we experience things like this week with the closures and things like that that are happening, it's very easy for us to come in and ask ourselves, what are we going to do? Our faith can be challenged whenever we don't see the next step, when we don't see what's coming. And so the question we have is, man, how do we have faith? What does faith really look like in times like this? What does faith look like in times where it's not easy? What does faith look like in times when I have to hold on to it with everything I have? But not only that, but what the author of Hebrews says here is this, that our faith is the assurance of things hoped for. And we know that our biggest hope in the entire world is that one day our Savior is going to return and turn everything wrong into right. That all evil will cease and that we will be together in perfect harmony. We know that that is something that is coming and that is our glorious hope. Not only that, but it's also the hope that we realize that it's not the things that are providing for us right now that are our real provision. That Jesus is our real provision. That we're not even really citizens of the United States. We're actually citizens of the kingdom of heaven. That is the hope that we have to look forward to. And the author of Hebrews says, faith is the assurance of this. It's the conviction that it's going to happen, even if we can't see it coming right now. Even if all we can see is our enemies rounding up against us, faith is the assurance of our hope that is coming and the conviction of the things that we don't see. He continue, or in Romans chapter 5, it talks about this hope. It says, hope does not put us to shame because God loves, God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. So we have an assurance that our hope will not be disappointed. That our hope is not in vain. Our hope being that we are saved and we will stand one day as righteous before God, saved from our sin. But it's also the conviction and the confidence of what we cannot see. So that our faith is not something that's based off of wishful thinking but rather it's a settled confidence that what God has promised, we believe he will do. There's a big difference there. This is the faith that we're called to, and it's into this house that the author of Hebrews invites us to step. To step into the life that is lived by faith, and he's about to give us examples of people who have stepped in and accepted that call, and they're challenging so we're going to go through some of those today. But before we do that, I want you to hear this and chew on this. 
the life of the family of God is one that is lived in and through faith. So the author of Hebrews sets this up and sets up the step that we're invited to take. And then he takes the reader through the hall of heroes of the faith. And that's really what we're going to be doing in the series. We're going to look at those who have gone before us. And we're going to learn and be challenged by their faith. And then maybe, hopefully, we'll be able to follow in their footsteps. And so we're going to talk about two of these heroes today. It's a husband and wife team, Abraham and Sarah. We're going to dive into their story today. So it's going to start in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 11. It says, By faith Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. And then in 11, 17 through 19, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, Through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. All right, really quickly, the story of Abraham and Sarah, if you're not familiar with it. Abraham and Sarah, they're old. They're not like, you know, oh, they're getting up in the years. No, they're old. They're like dust. Old. They're old people. Older than anybody in this room. Old. And God comes to them and says, hey, guess what? You're going to have a baby. And I'll be honest, right now, now granted I have four children, so it does change the narrative a little bit, but if God came to me today and said, you're going to have a baby, I was like, but I already have four, I don't want another one. And I know that might be wrong, but I get, I'd love him eventually, it's okay. But anyway, he goes up to Abraham and Sarah, who have not had kids yet. It's a cultural calamity to not be able to have children, and we find Abraham and Sarah, and God comes up to Abraham and says, hey, you're going to have kids, and Guess what? Your offering is going to be as numerous as the grains of sand on the shore or the stars in the heavens. And I'll be honest, sometimes I go outside and I look out and I see like four or five stars and I think, okay, that makes sense. But there was a time a while back where I got to borrow some night vision goggles from a friend and I looked up at the sky in the middle of the night. You cannot imagine how many stars are up there. We had nights whenever we were, uh, when we went to Yellowstone a while back, where we were standing out there, we had this little fire pit thing, and then walking from the fire pit to the house, you could stop right in the middle and look straight up, and the stars were so numerous. It was incredible. But can you imagine being a hundred-year-old man, and God coming down and saying, that's how many kids you're going to have. <laughs> so that's the story. And then Abraham eventually has a child named Isaac. And then that's where we see this. And God said, hey, you know that son Isaac? Yes, thank you, God. I'm so excited. I finally have a son to carry on my name and to bring about your promises in this world. And God says, great, I want you to go offer him as a living sacrifice on top of the mountain. Say what? But what we see here is that Abraham said, he considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. So we just read two accounts. We read the one about Sarah. We read the one about Abraham. But did you see the similarity? I want to bring it back to it. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Right? Okay, that's Sarah. Now here's Abraham. Abraham, when he was tested, skipping a little bit, he considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. 
You see the similarity? It's the word considered. Now, for the Greek scholars in the room, hageomai is the word. You can try it. Hageomai. Yeah, that's nice. I heard, I heard, I heard, I, I gotcha. <laughs> but yeah, no, hageomai, it is the Greek word which means to think or reason. And so what it says is this, that Abraham and Sarah, whenever they were faced with a moment to where God called them to things that were unthinkable, they reasoned. In both of these instances, we see two people, after hearing some pretty extreme things from God, reason that God is faithful. It said, Sarah reasoned of him who had brought them this far. The idea is she said, okay, God has done everything up to this point. He has led us. And you've got to ask ourselves, well, what was the reason? Where was the thing where God had provided for them beforehand? How had he been faithful? And we see it in Hebrews 11, 8 through 10. What Jerah read just earlier. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place he was to receive his inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going, but by faith, he went to live in the land of promise. As, a foreign la- er, sorry, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. So what we see is this, that before, before Isaac, before any of this, Abraham was called on by God, and God said, Hey, Abraham, you're rich. You're doing great in life. Yeah, God, thank you for your blessings. That's awesome. Pack up everything and go. Okay, God, where are we going? I'll tell you later. And the crazy thing is that Abraham did it. He didn't know where he was going. But he said, All right, Sarah, pack everything up. We're heading out. Where? I don't know. God's going to tell us later. And they left. And not only that, but they left, and it said that they lived in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. But Jacob is Isaac's son, so that means that it was generations that they were on this journey of faith. But over and over again through their journey, and I highly encourage you to read it in the book of Genesis, but over and over again in their journey, we see that God has provided for them in every step of their journey. And so whenever God comes to Abraham, or when God comes to Sarah, and he says to these, do these big things, what they do is they look back and they see how God has provided over the years. And they have faith. But not only do they have faith because of their experience, but they can look back in the lives of their fathers, and the fathers before them, going back and back and back, and they can see the faithfulness of God. So in these moments when God asks again to move in faith, both Abraham and Sarah look back at God's faithfulness and they reason that he will continue to be faithful. Church, we need to hear this. Because we are called to some pretty daunting arenas. And we cannot step into them unless we look back and really understand that the God who calls us into the fire is the one who has saved us from the fire over and over and over again. The God who is faithful will continue to be faithful. But understand this as well. Because these decisions that they made to act in faith were not decisions that were made out of blind faith. They were decisions that were made out of a reasoned faith. They look back and they reason. They, hageomai, that God was faithful. 
They saw example after example that God leads people through these things and they believed and then stepped forward, not with a blind faith, but with a reasoned faith. And so this is why my next point of the day is this, that Christians are not called to blind faith. We're called to a reasoned faith. Meaning that if you're leaning on a blind faith, you haven't taken the time to look at the reasons that God has given you to believe in him. Matthew twenty two thirty seven kind of unpacks that a little bit more for us and says, He said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Sometimes we forget some of these. One of the big ones is that we're to love God with our mind too. To be a Christian is not to check your brain at the door. To be a Christian is to love God with all of your mind. To be a Christian is I mean, to realize that God created intellect. And that we cannot claim to be complete lovers of God if we're not opening up our minds as well. And we see throughout Scripture in our lives that God has given us multiple reasons to believe. Even Paul is bold in his writings in both Romans and 1 Corinthians that we have reasons to have faith. In Romans 1.20, Paul says, For his invisible attributes, mainly his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. Meaning that in God's very creation, we see his attributes. We see that God is real and alive. But Paul even goes further than that in 1 Corinthians, showing reason for faith, not just um, in the creator, but for having faith in the risen Jesus. In 1 Corinthians 15, 3-6, it says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. So why does Paul say that? He's telling them, guys, I'm not making this up. He appeared to his apostles. He appeared to over 500 people. And guess what? They're still alive. Go talk to them. He's leaning on the understanding that they can look and see and talk to people and learn from the cloud of witnesses that have seen this happen. So as Christians, we don't need to fear reason because we have a reason to believe. Adam, go ahead, man. Um, now, the thing is this. We're never going to be 100%. Uh, we will never be 100% certain of our faith because it does require an element of faith, believing what God is doing. But we can arrive at a reasoned faith that God is who he says he is, that he has done what he says he has done, and that he will do what he has told us he will do. Now, at this point, I understand that I can see Adam to my right, that he is walking off stage, which means I'm hoping that he has done what I've asked him to do. We're good? See? Okay. That's double confirmation now. So let me start by asking you this question. Is there a chair on stage? I'm glad you didn't think that was rhetorical. Yes, there's a chair on stage. Okay. (laughs) This is the scary part. Okay, I can't see the chair. I know it's over here somewhere because I heard it moving a little bit, but I can't see it. But I believe you when you tell me there's a chair. I believe you. I believed Adam when he said that he set it up. So now, um, if you could, 
I would say that this is the beginning of reasoned faith. I have reason to believe there's a chair on stage with me right now. I have that reason because I have an entire group of hopefully friends that have told me there is a chair on stage with me right now. Follow me in this. This is important. So I believe that you are eyewitnesses of this alleged chair that's on stage, but what I'm going to ask is this, that you would help me out, okay? So if I wanted to sit on this chair, help me. Do I go right? I mean, I'm sure. Okay, tell me when. This is good? No? More this way. Back? Now we're moving back. I'm, I'm counting on you guys over here on this side that can actually see the distance here. Am I there? Almost. Back a little more? Pivot. Right foot, let's stomp. Left foot, okay, sorry. Uh, okay. Am I there? Okay, I'm, I'm there space on the front to back. Okay, so this way, line up. Which way? Okay, I need to go. Right here? Face, okay, so I'm there now. Okay, so you have led me to the chair. Okay, so here's the deal. I believe you. I don't see the chair behind me, but I believe you. I believe that there's a chair there. I'm 100%, no, I'm not. I'm nowhere close to 100%, but I believe within reason that there is a chair behind me right now because I do not believe that an entire crowd of our church could collectively get together and say, this is going to be hilarious. Let's just tell him he's there. Uh, so anyway, I believe that I'm at the chair, but here's the thing that I get right now. Do I have a reason, faith, that there's a chair behind me? Yes, I've got plenty of reason. Is that faith, do I really show that I have faith right now? No, why not? Because I need to sit down, right? <laughs> this is the scary part. Because I know that in sitting down, I'm putting all of my weight on the word of you. You get that? Now I believe you, so this isn't as hard. And if not, then it's going to be really funny, and I'm really glad we're filming this. But here we go. Okay. <laughs> all right, yeah. There's a chair, and I'm sitting on it. Yeah, all right. The idea of faith is that it is something that God has given us a lot of reason to believe. Paul talks about it in 1 Corinthians when he says, there's over 500 people that saw the resurrected Jesus. Go talk to them. Because Paul's not saying, don't just take it on faith. Go and have questions. Use your brain. Work through this together because God has given so many reasons for you to believe. But then we finally arrive at the point to where we have looked at the reasons and we look at it and we understand and we firmly believe Jesus is real. He resurrected from the dead and we're standing in front of the chair. But then it comes to the point of are we going to enact our faith or not? Are we going to put our weight on it? I told this story before, but there was a time once where I went, I, I hate heights, but there was a time where I went uh, rappelling off a 200-foot cliff face. And uh, because I was trying to impress a girl who I later married, so it worked. Anyway, but I was trying to impress this girl. <laughs> and so I volunteered to be the first one over the edge. And so they hooked me up to the rope. They backed me up to the edge, 200-foot cliff, 
And if you don't know how high 200 feet is, it's a lot higher than you think, um, especially when you're looking at it from that perspective. And what he said was this. What you're going to do is you're basically going to try to fall off the cliff backwards and trust that the rope will hold. I can't claim that I'm a repeller until I do that. At some point, I had to reach the conclusion that I was going to trust the rope. And it's the same thing with our faith. We can believe all day. That rope, I was told, can hold up to 3,000 pounds. And I know I've put on some weight lately, but I can handle that. There comes a point where we can have all the reason to believe in the rope that we want, all the reason to believe the chairs behind us that we want. But until we actually sit on it and put our weight on it, can we honestly claim to be a church where we are relying on faith? Reason has an incredible place in faith, but it's not the only spoke in the wheel. It requires that we trust. It requires that sometimes we put ourselves to work at things that don't make a lot of sense, either fiscally or with our safety or anything, because God sometimes calls us to some pretty scary things. And in the end, we ask ourselves, is the God who took me this far going to continue to provide? And you may be sitting in a spot in your life right now where you cannot think of ways that God has provided for you. But let me offer a few. You woke up this morning with breath in your lungs. You were able to arrive at a building where you could worship with no fear of persecution. But let's not even focus on that. Let's go back further. You have a disease. All of us do. It's this disease of sin. Something that we cannot get rid of on our own, but yet Jesus came to the world and he was sacrificed on our behalf. He lived the life that we couldn't live. He was sacrificed on our behalf and he paid the punishment that we can't pay. And because of that, the disease is cured. And can the God who provided for our ultimate need, our ultimate need of him and being close to him, the God that provides for us in that way through so much sacrifice on his own, would he not continue to provide for you going forward? We are citizens of the kingdom of heaven, which means that we're not called to comfort in this world, and we shouldn't expect comfort in this world. But the God who has led us this far will continue to lead us as we trust in him. So as we, as we move forward, you know, the next point is what we already talked about, but that a reasoned faith is not a living faith until we act on it. That's the requirement of faith, that we take it, we believe it, and we act on it. James 2.17 says it this way, So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Yeah, James put that backslash in there too. Uh, sorry, that's my bad. Uh, but so faith by itself, if it does not have works, it's dead. Now, I didn't know 100% that the chair was behind me. But I had reason to believe it. And then I took that reason and I acted on it. Now, that's a very simple thing with very little consequence if I'm wrong. But the things that God calls us to, and if he's not God, it's disastrous. 
But the fact that he is God makes it marvelous, makes it miraculous. So we need to get to a point to where we can come not just to an emotional understanding of God's love, but we come to an intellectual belief that he is God. And then we take that emotional understanding, that intellectual belief, and then we put it into action by placing our weight on him. Matthew 16, 24 says it this way, that Jesus told his disciples, if any of you would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. A cross was a tool for execution. So the calling here is for us to take up the instrument of our death, meaning that we're called to say that this is the hill I die on. This is where I die. That if I'm going to die of anything, it's going to be that I'm following Jesus with everything that I have. If I'm going to die from anything, it's going to be because I put too much faith in Jesus, because I will trust him with everything that I have. And I will trust him for my life. I will trust him for my death. And I will trust him for my eternity. Everything that I have, I place on Jesus to the point that if he falls, I fall. If he sinks, I sink. But we do this with a reasoned faith that we are placing our souls on the firm foundation of Jesus Christ that will not fall, that will not sink, and that will take us forward. And it's very easy to talk about. And it's very difficult to practice. And that's why we're not called to do it alone. You may be sitting there thinking, okay, Paul, we always end up talking about the community, but truth is, that's because God really cares about it. God cares about the church and the community. And when we try to approach faith, even reasoned faith in action on our own, what happens is we end up getting bogged down. We end up not being able to accomplish it because we weren't called to do it alone. We're called to exist in community and to approach faith in community and to put our weight on God as a community. Can you imagine how much more difficult finding this chair would have been had I been blindfolded and you guys stayed silent? I mean, granted, it would have been hilarious for you because I would have fallen down over and over and over again. But how much easier to find the chair when I have all of you telling me where it is? And not only do I have all of you telling me where it is, but I have you telling me from different perspectives. You get that? See, I had you guys that were helping me and you that were helping me to find how far back to go. And then I had the whole center section that was giving me the left and the right. It was the X and Y coordinates getting me right to where I needed to be. And that's where I was able to put my weight on it. That is what God has designed the church to be. We are a family that has different life experiences, different experiences with God. And when we come together with our struggles, with our pains, with everything that we're going through, you have the opportunity to both be encouraged and to encourage other members of the body. So I know when I'm in the middle of something horrible that there are people that have been there too. And they can love me through it. There's been several times over the past year, that I've heard of people that have lost close family. And I, I've had the privilege of being in the same room as these people are talking to each other. And I've heard them say things like, you actually know where I'm coming from here. Because it's a fresh experience. And I know that when I come in with my doubts and my questions, when I come in with my heartache, when I come in with my excitement, I have the cloud of witnesses that are directing me to faith and helping us get through things together. This is the gift of the church, a multi-generational body of believers that help guide each other to Christ. 
Because truthfully, when I reason my faith, and I do, it by, I do it by looking at the cloud of witnesses in Scripture, through this I can believe the radical claims of the resurrection and of salvation because I look and I see all the evidence throughout Scripture. But if I want to believe in God, I see all the evidence also throughout nature. And if I want to see it all at work, I look at the evidence that exists within the church. And I'm helped with the reasoning by seeing that God is at work in the lives of the people of the church. And I'm encouraged by the shared faith and journey of each of you. One of my favorite things, and it's something that we kind of put a pause on because of COVID, but the podcast we've been doing where people have been sharing their stories. Hearing how God has interacted with each of you is incredibly uplifting. So it leads me to the last point of the day, which is that faith is strengthened through the community of the church. You're not meant to do life alone. Not only that, but we serve an incredibly big God. He's bigger than any one person can perceive. And just as you fully can't know me until you uh, spend time with me as a pastor or as a friend, as a husband, as a father, as a son, the way that I interact with everybody in my life, unless you know me on all of those levels, you really don't have a complete picture of who I am. And it's the same thing with God. You cannot know a more complete picture of God until you spend time experiencing God through the lives of the people of his church. Because he is a big God and he is interacting with each of us. And since we are so different, he interacts with us differently. And whenever I get to see how God deals with you and with you and with you, I get to see the attributes of God in a, short, in a picture. So we're called to live life through faith, a faith that is reasoned, that is strengthened through the community of the church. But we're also called to take that reasoned faith and to put it into action, to put our weight on it. So much like Abraham and Sarah, after reasoning God's faithfulness, followed it with obedience, we too are called to step into obedience following the will and the word of God. And as we, the collective body of the church, continue to work and act out our faith together, we then, like the church in Rome, can be known, not for our big buildings or our great programs, but because we are a church that loves and has faith. Let's pray. God, we love you. God, thank you for uh, giving us reasons to believe in you. God, thank you for this church. Thank you for Lakewood. But Father, really, thank you for your church across the globe. Lord, I ask that you would help us to strengthen each other. That you would help us to believe you when you say that you have our best interests. That you have saved us and that you will see us through. God, I ask that you would be with us as we kind of move forward to this today. God, that you'd be with us as we try to figure out how we put our faith into action as a church. How we begin to uh, embrace uh, the life that you've called us to. Father, thank you for the day. We ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Um, something that we like to do here at Lakewood is we like to give you an opportunity right after we finish talking about a lot of stuff uh, to start to unpack it a little bit, uh, to ask a couple of questions and to kind of work through this together. And so that's what, that was the genesis of our community question time. And so what we're going to do is we're going to put uh, three or four questions, I think it's four today, up on the screen. And uh, we're going to give you a couple minutes to just start asking 
each other these questions. Now, it doesn't have to be the person you came with. It can be anybody. Turn around, talk to each other. You don't have to whisper. This isn't a quiet time. But really, it's just a time to unpack what we talked about, to ask each other these questions. Let's go ahead and do that.